By now, if you're awake, you know something is not quite right here. Something went on a few years ago that uh, was maybe a little fishy. And we have our suspicions as to what happened, but we don't really have any proof. Wouldn't it be great if we knew somebody who was actually on the inside and saw what happened? Well, we do. And he wrote a book about it. The Wuhan Incident, Bioterrorism and the Emerging Global Reset by Mark Fulmer. Mark, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Scott, it's an honor to be here with you in the program. And as you mentioned, uh, individuals, they, they're coming forward with the truth. And more so now, and in such a time in this in which we live in. But, you know, with all this that's going on, we, we need to hear, because we, we know we've been lied to by the deep state government. We have been lied to by the media. And that's why it's so important. I appreciate your program, your ministries, and what you do in getting the truth out. So thank you so much for this day. Certainly. Now, you are a bioterrorism expert. And uh, so how did this all begin? I mean, uh, when people see this book and say, wow, I'd love to get my hands on that book, The Wuhan Incident. Who is Mark Fulmer? Where do you come to us from? Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about my background, Scott. I uh, actually started my career in public health epidemiology. I was a disease outbreak investigator. And we would do tracking on communicable disease outbreaks, whether tuberculosis or whatever it was. And we did the, I did the epidemiological tracing, contact tracing, uh, the mapping, the cluster, because epidemiologists typically, they approach a disease kind of like uh, an investigator, and that's what we did. I was actually also referred to as a disease outbreak investigator uh, in my work. Uh, so I did that for a number of years, and then uh, shortly after 9-11, I, it was George Bush who actually, an executive order called Homeland Security Presidential Directive 21, which was to instate biosurveillance units throughout the United States, because one of the concerns that we had from Intel, that the things that were going on shortly after 9-11, was that terrorists wanted to weaponize what we call Category A agents. Could be anything from Yersinia pestis, which is the plague, uh, tularemia, smallpox. So I got a call uh, there from an individual, a director uh, in bioterrorism, and invited me to, to come on and uh, for an interview. And at first I thought it was kind of a joke, and I laughed and I said, okay, where, where's the punchline in this, Scott? And, uh, but I went in and interviewed, and uh, I was involved with starting some of the very first biosurveillance units after 9-11. And the purpose was to focus upon these Category A agents. When I say Category A agents, I'm talking about, um, you can go to look at uh, CDC uh, uh, online, and category A are those that are naturally occurring pathogens, but yet they can be weaponized, they can be turned into weapons. So the training, everything that I did in the first um, probably 12 to 15 years of my work focused on these category A agents. So uh, we worked with uh, setting up programs like BioWatch. BioWatch was declassified by Homeland Security about 
uh, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, but people are not aware of the fact that when they went to like sporting events or athletic events and stadiums, we had a system called BioWatch that would actually monitor the air and pick up any type of category A pathogens that were there. So we work closely with uh, uh, Homeland Security, uh, FBI, I worked with the FBI, uh, what they call WMD, that's Weapons of Mass Destruction uh, Unit. Uh, so we were involved in that intel initially. We worked with fusion centers through uh, North Texas. And again, it was purpose was looking at this intel on biological weapons because at that time, Scott, the focus being given was something Again, a naturally occurring pathogen that could be weaponized. Now, at the time of my training, it's most interesting. Uh, one of my early textbooks in bioterrorism I write about, the preface is written by a doctor by the name of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Hmm. And in it, he talks about a day and time will come where we'll see bioengineered pathogens being developed. And of course, at the time, that sounded like science fiction when I, I first was starting my career and my training, uh, bioterrorism surveillance. Uh, we were actually, I was involved with funding we, what we call le, uh, level three, BSL. There's biosafety level uh, three labs. Four is the highest. So I, I was involved with the staffing and funding of a BSL level three lab in North Texas that basically allowed us, it gave us the capability to look at anything that would come across the radar from a suspected terrorist uh, weapon. And uh, so that was my, that was my, my circle of involvement, my career uh, from epidemiology into bioterrorism over those years. Mm, very interesting stuff. Now, when you talk about biosurveillance and, and this, uh, what would you call it that was in the stadiums, the bio? Yes, it was called BioWatch. So does that still uh, go on today, where if it, you go it, to a football game? Or? Yes, yes, it still does. People are not, in, in your metro areas, your uh, high population areas, stadiums, football stadiums, sporting events, are considered soft targets still today by terrorists. Uh, that's why there's such a high level of security that goes in planning. Uh, the Super Bowl uh, that just the other week, uh, there's months of planning. I was involved with planning teams for Super Bowls. Uh, and, but because of the fact that they're such easy, soft targets, so you have to have all of the layers of security. And BioWatch was a system that we utilized to actually monitor because it would give a red alert to us if there was something happening. Uh, and also we were involved with monitoring in those uh, particular uh, settings. We call CBURN, that's chemical, biological, nuclear, all of that, anything that a terrorist could use against a soft target. So uh, the early days of my career were focused, I've been involved very much with law enforcement at various levels, federal, state, and local government. Mm. Now at the time of 9-11, I mean, we thought the, the enemies were folks in Afghanistan, Osama bin Laden, mm -hmm. folks like this. So at what point does China come into play here? Obviously we see there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension right now yeah. between the US and Russia and China. And 
At what point, or, or were they always a suspected um, perpetrator in all of this? Well, China, and I, I refer to CCP, Communist Chinese Party. Yes, not the Chinese people uh, at all. Yeah. They're caught in the middle yeah, of all this. Yeah, absolutely. They're innocent of it because they're under the oppression of a tyrannical state. And the uh, in China, and that's why we kind of, we bring into, begin looking at very early in my book and my research, we have to consider China's interest in developing bioweapons. They've, matter of fact, they've had the largest repository of biological chemical weapons, only second to, to Russia. And uh, so we begin looking at the setting for what I do research on, on the lab in Wuhan, we have to understand the threat. We have to understand the enemies that are within, Scott. And you know, perhaps there has been no greater threat or enemy that we've had from the other than the Chinese communists who have been infiltrating this nation. They've been infiltrating high levels of government Every type of institution, whether it might be up to the Department of Defense or whether it might be in educations of uh, what we call higher educations of learning in our universities, the Chinese have come in to infiltrate every area. They've stolen technology that we've had. Uh, you know, recently we had this uh, thing with the, the, the Chinese spy balloon. It transversed a couple of thousand miles over taking pictures of very security-sensitive areas before it was shot down, not too far from where your studio is here. And, um, you know, well, we actually, the deep state operatives have willingly opened the doors to communist China. COVID is one aspect of that, the COVID-19 pandemic, which we're going to be talking about. But, you know, through uh, various state-funded programs, uh, such as called the Thousand Talents Program, we brought in students and researchers into our institutions. And it has been also, there's been buyout that we know of our own politicians within the deep state. They've been paid a lot of money to allow the communist Chinese to come in and, and to enter into the door. We know that there are thousands of acres of farmland that are being bought up, even in my own state of Texas. There are thousands of acres, farmland, uh, resources that are being bought out by the communist Chinese. And it's almost like, oh, not a problem at all. But these are individuals, they're looking not for our best interests, for our nation, this great constitutional republic. They're enemies. They're looking for global domination. So out of that, we have to understand the backdrop of that, and then when we bring in, we begin looking, we move from the 20,000 foot view uh, down to the lab to what I call ground zero. We have to understand who are the players that are behind this. Mm. Now, this has been going on for a long time, this infiltration of, uh, like you said, the enemy within. Uh, in the spring, we had Bruce Brill here talking about mm -hmm. how even back in the 70s, the U.S. was implicated in the Yom Kippur War. They had intel, they decided not to tell the Israeli government and actually told the Israeli government the opposite. So that's been going on for a, a long time. So with, with all of that going on, I mean, how do, we, 
how do we defend ourselves from a government that seems to be against its own people? Well, you know, the deep state has been for decades, and we know that they're, Scott, they're not any friends of Israel. And, um, you know, that, that's the furthest thing from their mind. And, and they, they're actually, uh, this is where the American people, they need to know the truth. And programs such as what your program, your ministry is doing here in these studios of letting people know the truth, but it's also being informed and not by being bought out by the lie that, main, that the mainstream media gives, such as we're the very origins of this uh, COVID pandemic. They, they've lied to us, Scott. Mm. So with the origin, let's get into that a little bit. So people say, well, could this not have been just mutated like they said? I mean, what's the truth? What isn't? Did it really come from a lab? Did it come from eating bats? I mean, where, with that whole thing several years ago, I mean, people, I think, are still unsure what to think of all this. Yeah. To this day, Scott, the mainstream narrative for SARS-CoV-19 has been, it didn't come out of a lab. Uh, it came from what we call a purely natural zoonotic origin. In other words, as you mentioned, um, the, the, the line that we have heard from the very beginning was that there was some meat that was bought and consumed at a Wuhan marketplace. It was tainted with the SARS-CoV virus. And from there, that's how this pandemic arrived on the scene. Um, one of the things that I began doing in my research was my background is in disease outbreak epidemiology. I began looking at that, okay? If they're so insistent upon that this didn't come out of a lab, this wasn't created or bioengineered, then we've got to find the smoking gun, which there has to be a particular zoonotic species that are capable of the transmission. Well, it is true, Scott, that there are various communicable diseases, yeah, that do originate in various animal species. We have to look at Wuhan Ground Zero at the marketplace. And one of the things that we began, I began looking at from an epidemiological standpoint was looking at the sources uh, there. So I took the first 200 initial source cases that were reported to the local hospitals between the very first part, the first four weeks of December 2019. I took those source cases and from that data, and there were certain, when you go to the hospital, uh, they take some case information from you. They ask you questions like, okay, did you, um, when did you start experiencing these symptoms? Um, and if, if it's something that is related maybe to something that was consumed or were, uh, something you ate, uh, you know, where, where, hey, where was it? Did, did you consume anything from the Wuhan market? Uh, to the questions may be more specific, okay? Was there a particular night that you decided to sit down and have a delicious meal of bat soup or whatever, whatever it is, whatever the Chinese, because they are, we, we, these, these animals are sold uh, in, in the Chinese marketplace. It's very typical. And uh, so begin looking at that data and seeing, is there any direct correlation 
Scott, I found that after doing this epidemiological map of those first initial, because those are the most important cases in the first four weeks of the pandemic, uh, that's the most important case data, and began looking at, are there any ties to the marketplace? I found less, less than 0.5%. I think there was one report where somebody said, well, yeah, I think I bought some bat meat or something and uh, consumed it before I started experiencing these symptoms, but very little trace. But if you also, Scott, take things like Oxford University has a uh, data that they release that's very substantial. They track the consumption of what we call exotic meats. Uh, their reports, I began looking at the data, the research that was done, not only prior to December 2019, but about six months to nine months prior to the pandemic. And there was very little evidence given that from what Oxford research had, had uh, revealed that that particular type, we have to look at the horseshoe uh, cave-dwelling bat. That particular species is probably the most uh, capable of transmitting a, a coronavirus. But it began looking at all, they didn't add up. There, there's no records of any of that type of meat, that horseshoe bat, or pangolin. Pangolin is like, it looks like an anteater, it has a scaly hide, that was the other assumption. Uh, but there was, there's virtually no data to prove that there is a natural zoonotic occurrence. As a matter of fact, you began looking, backtracking uh, in those first initial cases in Wuhan, uh, that there isn't any smoking guns. But yet, the media, mainstream media, stands by this to this very day saying it's of natural origins. So, in my book, I then move into looking at, okay, if it wasn't the marketplace, and I also want to add this, Communist Chinese Party, um, the World Health Organization's ties with the Communist Chinese Party are incredible because the talk was, okay, we need to get World Health over here and get some sort of investigative team in to look at the marketplace. Well, before all that happened, they had completely taken down, sanitized the markets from top to bottom, and then brought the World Health investigation team to Wuhan. So they look, and this team, by the way, is led by Dr. Peter Daszak, who is with the EcoHealth Alliance, who should have been disqualified from the very beginning because he was involved with research within the lab of China. And so he's leading the team, the only American allowed to lead the team. They begin looking around the marketplace and they bring out their clipboards and say, well, no evidence of a coronavirus here, so actually in the lab, so it's gotta come out of the marketplace. Well, they never entered the lab. The, the investigation team never went into the lab. You would think from an epidemiological standpoint, if I were a disease outbreak investigator, which in my previous career, you would look for some evidence. Let's look at viral specimens. Let's look at, can you, what can you show us that you have to prove this came from a zoonotic source? None. 
Absolutely none. And that that's been that's been the line that we've been the lie we've been sold, uh, Scott, all this time. Well, we're gonna come back and talk more about this. We have just opened Pandora's box and we're about to get in and learn more. Thank you, Mark, for being here. Thank you for being here. It's your donations that make this happen. Thank you for donating to Shabbat Night Live to make this happen, and we pray that you would consider doing some more of that so that others can see this into the future. This is definitely a future thing. Folks need to know what really happened at Wuhan so that we don't fall prey to this again, and we are wiser the next time. So thank you for doing it. We'll be right back. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. We're talking about a very touchy subject here today. We're talking about Wuhan, what happened there? Is this a conspiracy theory? Is it all just a big story and all you guys are making this up? There's no global cabal trying to control the world. There's no Illuminati that gets into that whole thing. So Mark Fulmer, thank you for joining us today. You've had an inside look. Uh, we've talked in the first section about this, uh, about your experience in bioterrorism. This is not some made up thing. This is not some story. This is real. This stuff is happening. And I think a lot more people are waking up to this fact that this stuff is out there. There is a group of people who are trying to change the world one step at a time. And you mentioned how China was infiltrating our own country at every level, buying land, infiltrating the government, all this type of thing, payoffs, all this stuff. So who are the players? I mean, we've heard of the World Health Organization and the Communist Party of China. How does this all interrelate and, and how, how deep does this go? Yeah, it goes very deep, Scott. And when we begin understanding, I mentioned that uh, earlier about the World Health Organization um, and where they are because they, when COVID pandemic emerged between transitioning from December 2019 into January of 2020, by the time we began hearing uh, reports about the uh, pandemic. There was questions, okay, when will the World Health Organization step in to intervene? Because everybody's looking to these players. And one of the things that was rather remarkable was the World Health was reluctant to get involved. As a matter of fact, the director, Tedros, uh, reassured the media, international media, and said, look, China has this under control. This is a level four lab. BSL level four is the highest uh, level lab that you can have for handling the most deadly pathogens. They've got this. They don't need any, any help. They don't need that. any assistance mm -hmm. from us. Uh, the United States did offer uh, to send uh, epidemiology teams in to assist with this because once you begin seeing an outbreak and before it even gets to what we call the pandemic, it's called a pandemic, um, you need on the ground boots. You need troops that will uh, basically begin doing uh, the surveillance. They'll begin doing the contact investigations, all of that. What we know from what was happening with China was that were all these lockdowns that were going on. I mean, there were media blackouts that were happening. Uh, as a matter of fact, what's really interesting is from geospatial satellite data uh, that we have is that Wuhan went totally dark. And uh, doctors, physicians, medical uh, care professionals, 
that were coming out and questioning this from the very beginning were asking, okay, what's going on here? Either they disappeared in the middle of the night or they were disciplined for uh, what we call the Chinese Communist Party uh, for were actually creating fear-mongering among the people. So there was a lot of cover-up from the very beginning at what we call ground zero uh, with the lab. And um, the, you know, finally, the World Health Organization, they arrived on the scene, an investigation team for a few short days, uh, and walked out of there saying, yep, it came out of the marketplace, producing no evidence whatsoever. Tidros, the director of the World Health Organization, uh, is actually, he, he's a known communist. Matter of fact, back in his early days, when he, uh, in his youth, he was recruited and drafted by communists. We're, we're talking about uh, very aggressive uh, communist uh, military groups. And uh, that, that is all his background was linked into that. So when we come to China, the Communist Chinese Party are totally sympathetic to the World Health Organization. But not only that, if you go back into the history of the World Health Organization, Scott, very early, it came out, we know it came out of the United Nations. The first earliest representatives that were appointed the World Health came out of Beijing. Mm. They were Chinese. And there was a reason for that. Back in the, the, the plan for communist Chinese domination, global domination, they began looking at virtually every institution, starting with the United Nations, and then we have the World Health Organization. So they show up in China, and they have actually had these relationships with the communist Chinese for years. But not only that, Back to what you were talking about, your question. The larger global cabal, what I call the deep state. Um, you know, we've had enemies within uh, our own United States government. We've had politicians being bought off uh, by the Chinese government and that have worked hand in hand. So when you begin looking at the lab in China and then you begin seeing this incredible network of um, United Nations, World Health, but also our own United States agencies, EcoHealth Alliance. We'll talk a little bit more about EcoHealth Alliance and their role with the gain-of-function research, uh, the CDC, uh, the NIH, all of these institutions that our government tax dollars pay for out of our pockets, working very closely with the Chinese Communist Party. And the, the, it, it's an amazing thing. You began seeing the pandemic was just like the tip of the spear from what we began seeing. It was like the tip of the iceberg. We had no idea that what was under all of this network here and this, uh, that's why my book, the subtitle, talks about the emerging global reset uh, with this. All the players that are here, uh, it's very, very, it's an amazing thing. And it's like, people look at it like, it's this grandest conspiracy theory. But I'm, I'm like a friend of mine that told me, I said, you know, I, I said, um, 
you know, it, it, I come to the point of saying things just don't add up. It's much more than a conspiracy theory, Scott. I say something all the time to folks. I say it's only a conspiracy theory until it's not. Yes. Because it all comes out. All this stuff is real, and it just takes time to come out. And by the time we realize it, sometimes it's too late. So those of us with the, uh, the tin hats or <laughs> with the tin yes. foil hats mm-hmm. maybe right. have a point or two about yes. this. Yes, yes, the tin foil hat. That's what. <laughs> and you know, the amazing thing of it is there are individuals that they, they've, they've been bought out by this lie from the, the mainstream media that this, this didn't come out of a lab. This came out of a natural origin. But that was all in the planning all along. And if you've been looking at uh, this and what is taking place, um, a crisis opportunity that's especially of global proportions is an opportunity that the globalists, the, the global cabal, want to seize upon in order to take control, because it's all about control, Scott. When we see what's happened in 2020 uh, with this pandemic, uh, all about control, it's all about manipulation. Uh, And we began seeing in 2020, we began seeing rights, personal liberties suddenly going out the window. We began seeing businesses being shut down, uh, institutions being shut down, schools. And uh, so if we look at the bigger picture, all of this, it's all about the control facet because the more control that big government, especially one world government can have that take away our constitutional liberties, our freedoms, our rights as American citizens, we're giving up our sovereignty. As a matter of fact, even recently, uh, the other day, I was seeing a, a segment on the news about the World Health Organization. You know, this administration right now wants to give up our national sovereignty to empower the World Health Organization to have authority during a global pandemic, okay? So that means if this goes into effect, with what this administration is wanting to do, Scott, they're wanting to take the World Health Organization as the absolute monarchy uh, to determine things like vaccine passports, uh, things like uh, closures, uh, all of that being regulated. And, And you see, it's about building from this level of government, big government, one world government is all, all part of the planning process. And I think a lot of Americans don't understand this because when I first saw that, uh, this concept, I thought, no, that can't be. But if our government gives up control to the World Health Organization and then they declare an emergency like they did before with COVID, and if there's an emergency, oh, now it's an emergency, all directives come from World Health Organization now, not from the U.S. government. So that means our rights, our freedoms, all that kind of stuff, our constitution goes out the window. It's all superseded by the, what, the, the WHO directives? Absolutely, Scott. And you know, that's only the beginning of that. And think about it. The, 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 the whole transition, what we're seeing in the deep state, in our government, it's about relinquishing our national sovereignty for global control. It's about so we can be part of this new world order, this one world government that we begin seeing. Uh, matter of fact, 
that's emerging right now under our eyes. And all of that is about, we, we take away your freedoms, we limit your freedoms, what you can do, where you can go, uh, your personal choices, even to the point of medical freedom. When we talk about this whole area for medical freedom, Doctors and physicians have been silenced for telling the truth. And at first, an amazing thing, we, we, we figured out, okay, this was something that would happen in communist China, but here within our own country, the beginning physicians and medical doctors being silenced, their careers being threatened for speaking the truth, for talking about alternative, uh, we talk about what we call alternative uh, therapies that we know that work, well, they want us to get the jab. And uh, so all of that is being reinforced by this global cabal, this, this uh, new world order to take away our rights, our freedoms, to choose our own medical treatment, what physicians we want to go to. And as a result, we've seen with this, this whole firefight that's emerged since the 2020 pandemic. So people see this and some, some skeptics will say, okay, so they, there's this global cabal, takes over the world, they want control of everybody. What do they get out of this? What, what does like the current administration, if they give up control, are they getting something on the back end? Like who is benefiting from this? This administration is, their, their, their vision is to see this one world order, this global world order emerge and to take control. And uh, this president of this administration, this current administration, matter of fact, had his wedding in the wedding chapel of the United Nations. And for their honeymoon, okay, didn't go to, you know, some exotic destination spot. (laughs) They went to a communist country in Europe. So you began looking at this present administration as such is always partnered with um, this globalist initiative, uh, whether it might be through what's going on uh, I don't want to get off topic too much, but even what's going on with Ukraine uh, and all that, and people, they began looking at a lot of things that are merely smoke and mirrors that are set up by this administration to distract us. What are they getting out of it? Well, one thing we know we can follow the money. The second thing that we can do is we begin looking at the trail uh, being that the administration, I mean, think about it. Uh, our borders are porous. Um, you know, thousands upon thousands of illegals are pouring over our borders. Talk about a threat to national security. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, back in the day, even before the border crisis we have present, um, I worked with Homeland Security, uh, and, and they described the individuals even coming over into, uh, within my state, over the Texas border, they called OTMs, it standed for, stands for other than Mexican. In other words, mm. individuals pouring over the border were not just coming from Central America or Mexico, but there's a large concentration back 10, 12, 15 years ago, they were coming from terrorist countries, uh, terrorist hotbeds. And uh, so 
the borders are, they remain unopened. Uh, they're not addressed. Uh, we have individuals that are coming in uh, from other terrorist organizations. Uh, so the idea is the weekend, the infrastructure of our nation, our security infrastructure, but not only that, but to allow, I mean, we've sold out our, we've, our technology uh, to China. The spy balloons that were operating, Scott, we have evidence from that they were operating all the way back to 2019. Interesting, 2019, right before the global pandemic. Well, the Chinese, again, looking to the global domination, saying, hey, how can we uh, take photos of your most sensitive military installations? We can see your vulnerabilities. I mean, and then we shoot down the balloon, uh, you know, after it's traversed a couple thousand miles taking security sensitive photos. Across the entire landmass. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we see that, that that happened with the balloons and people say, well, well, couldn't, come on, couldn't, couldn't their satellites take those same photos? Could that really have been the purpose of those balloons? Well, you know, the amazing thing about it, the geospatial data, uh, and China's been using balloons for some time, geospatial data that you can actually get uh, the composites, the photographs, and the technology that is being in those balloons used to transmit the data, the photos, the mapping, the aerial, the basically topographical mapping uh, is incredible. We're talking about technology, Scott, that is revealing our most vulnerable, uh, where we're at, uh, in this nation, we were vulnerable to attacks. And, you know, China amasses this military. They're not worried about a woke, okay, like here in the, our, our Pentagon, about a woke military. Um, they're amassing a military that they're uh, raising up fighting units, infantry, uh, to take over. Uh, and they, they're not hesitant in any means. When we abandon Afghanistan. And that was, that, that was horrible what happened. Shortly after our troops were moved out, out of Afghanistan and Taliban began taking over the area, guess who was on the backdrop? It was the communist Chinese. They were began moving in. They had vetted interest in the geological resources, uh, the minerals that were there. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of reserves of the uh, mineral repositories uh, there in that area are used for producing the microchips that have become. Remember, there was such a shortage of microchips. So they immediately began positioning themselves uh, into that void. So their planning, their strategy uh, is one, it can't be underestimated, but it's a silent ear that our administration uh, pays to uh, the communist Chinese threat, and they've let these enemies come right in through our door. Wow. Well, we are definitely going to talk more about this. We have just scratched the surface. Thank you for just laying it all out there. Let's just keep doing that. Uh, we will put this teaching wherever we have to so that people can see it uh, without threat to the rest of the ministry because I think this is extremely important information. So, Mark, thank you for being here. Okay, incredible information from the Wuhan incident by Mark Fulmer. Join us again next week for more incredible information all about this, and I don't think you're gonna to wanna to miss this. So until then, we bid you Shabbat Shalom and have a good week. <music>